So here we stand on a threshold of a new year, right? New Year's Eve 2017, and we look forward to a new year, new hope in 2018. And this is the time of the year that, that many of us will, will take the time to promise ourselves, promise our spouses, our loved ones, really anybody that's willing to listen to us about what we're going to do to make 2018 the greatest year ever. Some of us, we want to be healthier, right? We're determined to eat healthy. We're going to join a gym. We're going to buy running shoes. We're going to buy a bike. We're going we're gonna to work out determined to get in those pants from our senior year in high school. This is the year it's finally going to happen. I believe you. Trust me. Some of you, it's, it's financial that this, this year, this year is the year I'm going to get out of debt, We're going to be able to to save some this year, to put a little bit of money aside for the things that come up unexpected in life, or to start saving for for vacation, or or college, or or retirement. Some, you just want to be better people. You're going to drink less coffee. You're going to worry less. You want to be better students, get better grades. But we all find ourselves kind of looking forward and making these promises. And if we're honest, we do this every year. And, and sometimes we make the same promises over and over and over again, somehow thinking that this is going to be the year that's going to be different. And if you guys are representative of the population at whole, get this, less than 8% of you will keep your New Year's resolution or your promise for the whole year. Less than 2% of you will be able to keep that promise into the second year. Now, there's many reasons why these promises don't stick. Number one, we just, we make too many of them, right? Too much life change at once. Or we, we start on, and we stumble on January 4th, we go back into the bag of Oreos again. And then January 6th, it's the Fig Newtons. And then we get frustrated with ourselves and we just give up overall. Then the surefire loser of all of them is we set expectations which are just unrealistic, right? You struggle to get out of bed at 7 a.m. now to get to school or to work, but somehow magically on January 2nd, you're going to get up at 4 and you're going to work out for an hour, you're going to devotion for 45 minutes, and then you're going to pray for half an hour, and then you're going to get yourself to work or school on time. See, these are promises that are made out of desire, made out of our willpower. And the reality is with a 92% failure rate, these aren't, if we're honest, really promises that we can put a lot of hope in going into next year. So what I want to do today is we close out this sermon series, World Word in the World, I want to take a look at three promises that Jesus makes to us. Three promises that he makes to us. Now listen, as we've said through this whole sermon series, if Jesus is nothing more to you than a baby in a manger, a historical figure to be celebrated once a year, or a Christmas decoration that's going to be packed up in the next few days and put away in the attic or the basement, then these promises really aren't any different than the ones that we're going to make ourselves. 
But if Jesus is active in your life and he's real to you and you want to pursue a life that's pleasing to him, then these are promises that we can grasp onto going into 2018 and give us hope as we move forward. Because these promises are from Jesus. These promises will never be broken. So before we turn to his word, why don't we bow our heads and ask him to lead us. So Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. We thank you for the way that you've given us your word, Father, which is a guide for life and living. And in these pages, between the covers, we see promises made to us, promises that will never, ever be broken, that we can rest in, that we can count on, never to be disappointed. So, Father, through these today, we ask you to speak to us. We ask you to, to ground us in these things so we can move forward with true hope. Father, we thank you for the way that you love us. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, if we, as we look at Jesus' ministry, right, we see it throughout the New Testament, Jesus makes many promises to us through his time here. In fact, if you look at it, there's almost 200 of them. And if you want something to study into this coming year, it is a great study because it's such an encouragement to see what Christ promises to us. But I want to do, though, is I want to focus on three of those. And here's why I want to focus on these three. That in, as I talk to the staff here, and in my personal ministry, ministering to you, right? Many of you I've met with to talk about struggles in life, struggles with addiction, marriage issues, struggling with your standing with God. That as I interact with you, these are the three things that really is a common thread or a common theme that comes up as you are struggling. And I want you to be able to hold on to these promises, to hold on to this truth as you go into 2018 and have a true sense of hope, all right? So promise number one is that Jesus accepts us just as we are. Jesus accepts us just as we are. Now, here's the deal with this one. We know, right, if we're honest with each other, we are people that want to belong. We are people that want to fit in with others, right? We want to be one of the guys in the neighborhood. We want to be on the inner circle with the boss at work to maintain our promotion track. We want to be one of, with the cool moms at baseball or hockey, we want, to, we want to be in the fraternity that throws the, the best party and attracts the most people. We want to sit at the table at lunchtime with the, with, the, with the jocks or the football players or with the cheerleaders or with the math club or with the, with the people in the band or the cool clique. See, we want, to, we want to be included. We want to be involved. Nobody wants to be on the outside looking in. And as believers, that can be a struggle for us at times. Because what happens is, is we'll tend to compromise our values and the things we believe in to be accepted by that group. And this is one of the things as I get to interact with you, one of the things that you struggle with the most is you kind of look at your life, the body of work that you have going on. 
And you wrestle with the compromises that you've made to be in these circles and in these cliques in your neighborhoods and in workplaces. And you look at your life and you look at the, the, the state of your family or the state of your marriage or your drinking habits, your spending habits, the way you carry yourself, your language. You, 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 you take an assessment and you, and you look at this body of work and say, there is no way, the way that I'm living my life, that Jesus accepts me. There, there's just no way that you reason with yourself that because you veered off the path for a while, some of you days, some of you weeks, some of you years, that there's no way now that you can be accepted by him because of the way that you're living your life. That somehow you are on the outside looking into God's family now. Right, kind of like James Harrison being cast aside by the Steelers this week. But that is not the way our Lord Jesus Christ treats us. It is not. And it's a tremendous promise we find from him in John chapter 6, verse 37. John chapter 6, verse 37. Look at, let's read this promise first. It says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This is a theologically rich verse. I'm going to touch on something first. We'll talk about the, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. So, so first it says here, all, right? All, no exclusions, all, that the Father has given, right? Me, this is Jesus. So that's the sovereignty of God, right? That's election. The Father gives to Jesus. The Father gives those to him to come into relationship. That's the God's sovereignty part. Look at the second piece of it. Will come. This is the responsibility of man, right? That we have to take a step towards him, into relationship, accept his grace and his love. Sovereignty of God, responsibility of man. That's how the relationship happens. And then look at the promise that Jesus makes. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That is the promise from Jesus. I will never cast you out. There's nothing that you can do there's nothing that you have done. There's nothing that you will do that will cast you out of my family. You will always belong. And I say that, Jesus say, saying that because he knows everything that you've done. He knows everything that you've thought. He knows everything that you're even capable of doing, good and bad. And Jesus still says, I will not cast you out. He's standing there regardless of how long you've been away from him. Whether it's been weeks or years with his arms wide open saying come back to me. No conditions. You aren't out. You are forever in. I don't care what you did. It reminds me when, I was, when my kids were little and I'd come home from a trip and I'd hear the feet come running through the house. 
and I stood there with my arms open. I didn't ask them to get cleaned up, get the chocolate off your face, get the Play-Doh out of your hair. Just with nothing but a warm embrace as they come running. That's Jesus' promise. And this is an issue for some of you. Because what happens is, is we think that we're cast out. And, and Jesus is looking down on us for what we did. And Satan sits in our ears and says, you were useless. You're not in anymore. God can't use you. And we get paralyzed in our faith and we quit reading his word. We don't serve. We don't give. Somehow thinking we've got to clean ourselves up before we can return to him. But God's promise says, just come back. I will never cast you out. That is the promise that he makes. And I love how um, um, Paul puts this in Ephesians chapter 1 verse Five to six, I'm sorry, in John chapter one, verse 12, he says to us that we are his children, right? We are, we are, we are part of his family. Our standing never changes. Look at John chapter one, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, right? That's those who have a relationship with Jesus. He gave the right to become children of God. We have the right to become children of God. We are sons and daughters. Our position in his family is firmly established. That doesn't change. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 to 6, Paul takes us even a step further. Look how he says we're part of his family. Chapter 1 verse 5 and 6. In love he predestined us, right? Predestined, that's the God sovereignty piece I talked about earlier, for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. See, it says we are adopted into the family. So to be adopted into something, that means we had to be on the outside. And that's what we were. Before we have a relationship with Christ, we were his what? His enemies. We were against him. And through our relationship with Jesus, he invites us into the family. Adopted as sons and daughters, our position never changes. We can never ever be cast out regardless of what we do. So for you believers, as we head into 2018, I want you to hold tightly to that promise. Because guess what? You are going to screw up. It's gonna happen. We all fail. We're all sinful. But you've got the promise that you were never cast out of God's family. So don't buy into Satan's lies that you were useless and paralyze you in your walk with him. That you can run back to him in his open arms, waiting for you to, him to accept you as his son, as his daughter. Regardless of how bad you think you've been. No matter how long you've been away from him. He's waiting on you to return. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, guess what? 
He's waiting there for his own for you too. He doesn't care what you've done. How bad you think it is. He wants a relationship with you and he's waiting on you to come to him into his open arms so you too can have the promise of eternal life. Never to be cast out, not in today's world and not into the future of tomorrow in heaven for eternity. That's a promise that will never be broken to us, that gives us true hope going into 2018, that Jesus accepts us just as we are. All right, that's the first promise. Promise number two, Jesus is our source of joy. John chapter 15, verse nine. John chapter 15, verse nine to 11. Jesus is our source of joy. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments, abide in his love. It's a promise. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Full of joy. That's what Christ promises us. And I think this is one of the biggest mistakes us Christians make, is that we confuse joy with happiness. So many times I get to interact with you guys, and you're in a low point of your life, unhappy with what's going on, unhappy with the circumstances, and you can't help but think, does God even know I exist? Does God care about what's going on in my life? Does God know I can't feed my family? Does God know that I desire to have a spouse? Did we somehow think he's forgot about us because we're not happy? But joy and happiness are two different things. See, happiness is a feeling. And that feeling is, is dependent upon what's going on in our lives. Right? External circumstances that come in. So we're, we, when, we, when we've been unemployed for a while and we get a job, we're happy, right? We're happy I can provide for my family now. And then what happens? Six months later, you don't get the promotion or the plum work assignment. Guess what? You're not happy anymore. You're happy that you got accepted into the college of your dreams, but you're not so happy when the bill comes. Disgust sets in then. See, happiness is not joy. Joy comes, the word joy actually comes the Greek root of the word kara. It means to be exceedingly glad. And this joy become, is the condition contentment that lives inside of us. Joy is a sense of peace, a sense of inner calmness that regardless of what is going on around us, regardless of our circumstances, I can be joyful in those things. Let me give you a, a, a worldly example first. So let's say, for example, you're, you're a believer in Christ, 
right? And, and you're a school teacher. And God's made you to be a school teacher. There's no two ways about it. When you interact with students, you create lesson plans, you stand up in front of the class, you interact with parents, you plan out the year, you feel nothing but God's joy, right? Because that's what he's made you to do. It could be an attorney, it could be an architect, it could be a banker, but you feel God's joy in that. That can be true and you not be happy every day of the school year because you've got annoying students, obnoxious parents, a principal doesn't care about you. But if you've got that joy that's inside of you, that allows you to get through those tough circumstances. And scripture tells us that the joy that's inside of us, that transcends circumstances, comes through a relationship with Jesus. That's where true contentment comes from. That regardless of the lows of life, regardless of the highs of life, that I can rest in the fact and be joyful because of my relationship with him. Look how James puts it in James chapter 1, verse 2. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind. I want to make two observations here, right? Number one, it says when, not if. You are going to have struggles in your life. It's going to happen. In fact, that's one of the promises Jesus makes to us. You will have trials in this life. I'm not covering it today. That's one of the things. It's going to happen. And the other thing he says here is when you meet the trials, this really could be translated in, in the trial. When we're in the midst of the tough time, we can find joy through Christ. This is not for the trial, right? We're not joyful for our unemployment, but we can be joyful in our unemployment because of Jesus Christ in our lives. And James expounds on how we can find joy in those toughest circumstances. Look, flip to James. We're going to continue verse 3 to 4. If I can find it here, my fingers aren't working. Verse 3 and 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet the trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, what he's saying here is that the joy comes as we persevere through the toughest things in life. And what that, where the joy comes from, the understanding of who he is in our lives, is in where, when we're in the midst of those things, in the most difficult things that we face, the loss of a loved one, facing terminal illness, job loss, a broken relationship, that as we persevere through those things, we come to a realization that what? Christ is enough for us. That Christ will sustain us through those difficult things. 
And that as he does that, we come to realization that although we may mourn the things that we lose and, and not like the things that we went through, but through that season, he is maturing us spiritually. He's maturing us in his, our relationship with him. That, that, that we can rely on him. And in that maturing and in that process, what does James say? That we are becoming what? Perfected. We are becoming complete. Not perfect individuals, but through that we can come to realization that I can rest and have a sense of joy regardless of what is going on in my life because I know that Jesus will get me through it. That's the promise that he makes. Now for you believers... I want you, my prayer for you is that you cling to that promise this year. Because I can guarantee you, you are going to go through things which you do not expect to go through in the next 12 months. Things that are unnerving, things that are unexpected, things that are unwanted in your life. Some of these things you never thought you would go through in your lifetime are going to hit you. But no, based on the promise of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that he will perfect you in those things. And that through that perfection of you and your faith, that you can rest in joy, knowing that, that he is in the midst of that with you. And that you're going to come to a greater realization that he is all that you need. If you're not a believer... Let me tell you two things. Number one is there's nothing in this world that is going to provide you joy. Not a relationship, not your house, not your car, not your bank account, not your job. None of it. It is all going to disappoint you. Sure, it may bring happiness for a short period of time, but the house is going to break, the car is going to rust, and the people are going to disappoint you, and the money's never going to be enough. Which leads me to my second point. The only true source of joy is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is what you are pursuing. The joy that you seek only comes through knowing him in an intimate, personal relationship. That's a promise going into 2018 that you can cling to and give you real hope and a promise that's never going to be broken. That you can find joy through Jesus. All right? That's the second promise. The third promise. Only Jesus offers us true life. Only Jesus offers us true life. Look at John 10.10. 10. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life, life and have it abundantly. Right, what he's saying here is the thief comes to destroy. The thief comes for self. The thief comes to tear apart the flock, to take life from the flock. That's what the thief does. It's a selfish, self-feeding thief. 
to destroy the flock, where Jesus is saying, I came to care for the flock. I came to give life, not a restricted life, but an overflowing life, a life that is full of abundance. That is what Jesus promised us, a life that is full of abundance. Towards the tail end of his life, in his journey, he was on the road to Jerusalem, knowing what lied ahead of him in his crucifixion. He's walking alongside of his disciples, and he, and he speaks to them. And look what he says to them. Matthew 16, chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25. Then he told his disciples... If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It seems like a paradox, right? How can I gain my life and lose my life all at the same time? See, what Jesus is saying here, you, if you want life abundantly. If you want what I have for you, you have to quit chasing things in the life that you desire. You have to give up the things in your life that you want. You have to give up the plans for your life that you have laid out over years. And instead, you've got to come to me and through me to have life to the full. That is how you have life. I'm promising you abundant life. But you gotta come through me. You can't do it your way. And I think that this is one of the biggest things that we struggle with in modern Christianity. This sense of uh, uh, people in the church that are are bent on this self-centered consumerism that when we look at Jesus, we look at this relationship on what we get from our relationship with Jesus. That we look at the church and what we get from the church. And when we think about going into a core group, we think, well, what am I gonna get from the core group? Or somebody asks you to serve, well, what am I gonna get from serving? Or when we give, what am I gonna get if I give? That somehow over the the past several decades, we've turned Christianity into a get instead of a give. Like somehow we've turned Jesus into this genie in the bottle that we rub the lamp, expecting him to grant our wishes when we need him. When our loved one's sick, when, when we're struggling through some personal issues or we got a relationship issue, Jesus, please show up now and rescue me from this Right? Give me something. Give me something. But what we see Jesus saying here is it's not about you. The thief comes for selfish purposes. To kill and destroy, I came to give you life and to give you life for the full. And then we see in this passage what he's teaching us here is that there's a, there's a give before the get. There's a pain before the gain. There's work before the reward. There's the cross before the glory. And he lays it out for us in this verse. And I want to take a look at these three things that he teaches us right here, right? You can have life to the full. The life that I have for you that only comes through me, 
but you got to give up your desires. It's here for you. Come and get it. And what does he say? He says, if anyone comes after me, first thing, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. Okay, so what does that mean? Now, denying ourselves does not mean buying Skechers instead of Jordans. That's not denying ourselves. Denying ourselves is not going to Myrtle Beach instead of Maui. That's not denying ourselves. Denying ourselves is under any circumstance, right, that we can find that joy and contentment regardless. So let me give you a couple examples. So in your relationships, right, when people hurt you, when, when you become disappointed or when you become unforgiven in something that you've done and that hurt that stings and leave a mark, but yet you can remain joyful in that because you count it as suffering for Christ. That's dying to self. When you see somebody that's around you in your circle of friends, see their prayers answered, that you can truly, from the bottom of your heart, rejoice for them and be happy for them, even though your most basic needs aren't being met. That's dying to self. When you can truly be content with any amount of money, any clothes, any interruption in your life because of God's will, can you stay content in anything? That's dying to self. When your wishes and your advice is ignored over and over again, but anger doesn't rise up in your heart, that's dying to self. So let me ask you a question. Are you dead yet? That's what Jesus says we've got to do if we want to realize the promise of abundant life and have it to the full. The second thing he says we've got to do is we've got to take up his cross. Very straightforward here. Remember, right? Jesus is on the road to be crucified. He knows what lies ahead of him. He turns to his followers and said, listen, you want to follow me? You want to do what I do? You want to live a life that's pleading to me? You've got to take up your cross. And what he's saying here, I am going to be persecuted. I am going to be crucified. And you will have to also. And so what Jesus is saying here is you might have to suffer if you're going to follow him. Rejection, you know, being ostracized, kick out of your friend group. You may be martyred. You may martyred. You may be made fun of. And it goes back to what we talked about originally with compromise, right? Are you willing to stand up for what you believe in in your faith and be kicked out of your friend group, not be invited back to the Christmas party next year? You got to take up your cross. You gotta be willing to suffer for your faith. If you wanna come after me, you wanna follow me. And then thirdly, Jesus says, follow me. Simple, straightforward, right? Do as I've taught. Teach as I taught. Follow my example. You gotta deny yourself. You gotta be willing 
to suffer persecution. Take up your cross. And you got to be willing to follow what I have taught. If you can do those things, I promise you life to the full. I promise you abundant life. So when we look at these promises, when we go into 2018, that we are accepted just as we are. That we can have joy and no joy in the gravest of circumstances in our life through our relationship with Jesus. And knowing that if we want abundant life, that it is promised to us. See, these are promises that are steadfast, unbreakable, that's made available to each and every one of us. These are promises that give us true hope as we go into 2018. That no matter what mistakes I make, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ still loves me and accepts me and I'm gonna pick myself up and I'm gonna move on. Because it's gonna happen. And I'm not gonna let the devil tell me lies and I'm useless. I'm not, I'm accepted, I'm adopted. And I'm gonna push on. And also knowing with a firm belief because the promise is unbreakable that regardless of the toughest times I can go through, that I can be joyful in those things because Christ is perfecting me in the process. And then lastly, that we are offered abundant life and life to the full if we chase the creator of life and not the things of this world. See, guys, those are the promises that give us true hope heading into 2018. These aren't promises based off of willpower and desire. These are promises based off of Jesus Christ's words. And we can believe in them because Jesus is faithful. He is faithful he is faithful. He is faithful. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for these promises that give us a hope going into this new year. Father, hope that we can cling to that regardless of how bad we screw up, regardless of the toughest circumstances, that you are with us, that we are accepted, that we can do life with a joyful spirit chasing after this abundant life which you promise us. And Father, we know that we can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Father, we thank you for the promises that ring true from and through your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.